0: Welcome to Stuff from the Science Lab from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey guys, and welcome to the podcast. This is Allison Mattermouth, the science editor at HowStuffWorks.com.
1: And this is Robert Lamb, science writer at HowStuffWorks.com. Tell me, Allison, have you ever secretly wished you had a prosthetic arm, like a fake, you know, like a robotic hand or anything?
0: Um, until this afternoon, I might have answered you with a no, but there's some pretty cool prosthetic devices out there and a little research into Oscar Pistorius. Have you, have you heard about this guy? You probably did.
1: Oh, this is the uh, Blade Runner, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's awesome. Um, and it's funny too, because I, I actually do think about prosthetic limbs when i'm when i'm running that's Mm. when i've most thought about it and i think you know wow i'm really grateful to have my legs and running and gosh my legs are tired and maybe i should go get a a blade runner like oscar was
1: like maybe you should you should lose your legs and replace them with with super high-tech prosthetics
0: like a cheetah yeah that thing is awesome hey just so you guys know we are going to be talking about prosthetic limbs today and um we know that there are a lot of people out there who have lost a limb, and we don't take that lightly. But we will be talking pretty candidly about it today.
1: Yeah, and, uh, it, it, like, I have uh, I have this kind of mixed thing about it because uh, as a kid, I loved the idea of, like, having, a, like, a robot hand or something because it was all over the place, you know? It's like you're watching pirate movies, and they have peg legs, or you're watching, uh, like, He-Man cartoons, and it's got him lockjaw jaw, and he had, like, this big robot arm. And, yeah. And so, you know, it's and, – and I still find a lot of that stuff really cool, you know? It's all that, you know – Billion dollar man type of thing, you know, Um and, you know, cyborgs and making somebody stronger through uh technology uh, and impervious, you know. But then at the same time, I like I'll think about it, and I, you know, I'll be like typing or something like, man, if I lost a hand, that would really suck. Like, how would I move my mouse, you know, Um and, you know, and. Uh,
0: well, you might not lose that functionality with uh, some of the technologies available today. That's right. And we're going to talk about some of them. But can we talk about Oscar for a second? Blade Runner?
1: Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about him.
0: So just a reminder for those of you guys who don't remember him, he was the sprinter who was on track to make the South African Olympic team. And according to a Wired story by Josh McHugh, this was an Oscar story. He was born with two toes on each tiny foot, and uh, each leg was missing its fibula. And the fibula is that long, thin bone that uh, connects your calf muscle and it forms outside the ankle.
1: So They were in pretty bad shape.
0: Yeah. Uh, it was missing, actually.
1: Yeah. So it was pretty much a situation of either keep these and use a wheelchair for the rest of your life or double amputee and sort of start from scratch, put some uh, prosthetics on there and, you know, and learn how to use them at an early age.
0: Right. So Oscar's parents obviously went with the the latter choice. And at uh, age one and a half, according to uh, Wired writer McHugh, Pistorius took his first steps on a set of fiberglass pegs. And... Now he's pretty darn fast on them. Just to give you an idea of how fast, he can cover 9.4 meters per second on them.
1: Yeah, and if you haven't seen a picture of these, I mean, do a a search for it because it's it's really awesome. I think either this guy or a guy with a pair of these showed up uh, in the first season of My Name is Earl. No kidding. Yeah, he, he, like, runs around on them. And it looks awesome because they have this, like, they bend backwards and they're, like, springy. And... To the untrained eye, they look just like a curved piece of metal, you know, and, and not something that's like ultra, you know, design. It looks a little
0: bit like a hockey, uh, like a hockey stick at yeah. the end.
1: Yeah. Imagine a guy like running on like hockey sticks and except just having like this awesome spring to his step and just like really fast. It's, it's kind of amazing.
0: Yeah. And they're pretty expensive too for all that spring and power. They're between 15,000 and 18,000, uh, per, per cheetah, per blade. So Pistorius' fate for the 2008 Olympics was that uh, he, he eventually was cleared. And uh, he was going to be able to run in the Beijing Olympics if he qualified. Um, but he, in fact, didn't. Uh, he didn't He didn't make the Olympic qualifying standard in the 400. But this is kind of interesting. I was thinking about it. I mean, Oscar is so fast that I was wondering, you know, uh, with these type of cheetah blades and, and these type of prosthetic devices... Could we eventually see the Paralympics, you know, breaking records that the Olympic athletes can't?
1: I don't know. It's worth, yeah, you know, it's worth thinking about. You know, as the, as the technology improves and we we get we're better able to um, to replicate, you know, the, the use we would get out of, of an actual limb. You know, it stands to reason we might reach the point where we could, you know, improve upon the design to a certain degree
0: and improve they have prosthetic devices have come a long way
1: yeah there was a you know there was a time long ago where if you lost your you know arm to a you know a saber tooth tiger and whatnot then uh i don't know about a saber tooth i'm not sure about the, the crossover there. let's say woolly mammoth bit your arm off you know you wouldn't be able to really get a prosthetic but uh but they really started popping up pretty early in history they found one on a mummy didn't they like a fake toe
0: Yes, they did. They found a three thousand year old uh, fake toe on an Egyptian noblewoman.
1: Yeah, and uh, oh, and tell me about the Roman dude. I will
0: this tell you awesome. about the Roman dude. The Roman dude was a guy uh, named Marcus Sergius, and he was a Roman general who lost his right hand while he was battling in the one of one of the Punic Wars, and. Um, Marcus ordered a replacement hand made of iron to hold his shield and he, he got his Roman self back out there on the battlefield See, that was a tough guy
1: yeah and this is this ties into the whole like childhood like you know love of the idea of prosthetic limbs like here's a guy that's so awesome he like goes out and he's you know he's a he's this you know action killing machine and then like they take his hand and he's like, ah, I can just you know slap a shield on there and I'm good to go so um that's that's pretty impressive.
0: So one thing is that, uh, old Marcus may have been buried with his amputated limb because people used to believe that if you lost a limb while you were on Earth that you should be buried with it because otherwise you, uh, might be limbless in the afterlife as well.
1: Yeah. Oh, kind of like with the mummies and the, uh, the Coptic jars with mm-hmm. their, uh, their organs in them.
0: But of course, what rogue group in history was renowned for their, uh, prosthetics? That would be the pirates. Indeed. And uh,
1: we- Oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to point out that, um, uh, in, in the Atlanta area, there's actually an amputee prosthetic clinic, um, and they have a um, they have a pirate on the sign, like a cartoon pirate. <laughs> and their their phone number, I probably can't give out the first part of it, but it's like you know, um, like you know, whatever, whatever, fake leg. You know? Oh,
0: okay. So that's so, direct and and to the point.
1: Yeah, and and interesting too, because it's like you know, they seem to have a real sense of humor, or you know, about uh, the use of prosthetics and love pirates. So it's interesting.
0: Yeah. So back in the uh, back in the olden days, wood and metal and leather were the were the materials of choice for for your prosthetic limbs. Mm. But now we've we've become kind of high tech, as we were talking a little bit about with Oscar. So let's talk about some of the newer ones. And meanwhile, we should probably give you a, a little run through through the basic parts of a prosthetic limb.
1: Yeah, these are the uh, the, the basics. Um, you're gonna want uh, you're gonna want a pylon.
0: You sure will, because mm-hmm. it's like the heart of the prosthetic.
1: Yeah, this is, uh, I mean, this is like the skeleton internal frame, you know. This is replacing the bone that was lost, essentially.
0: Right. It's providing the structural support, and it used to be often made from, uh, metal rods. Nowadays, you might be looking at a lighter carbon fiber type composite. And then you have the socket, right? And so the socket is, uh, the part of the prosthetic device that meets the, the residual limb or the limb stump, as the case mm-hmm. may be. And a good fit here is obviously going to be critical because you don't want that thing rubbing against you the wrong way. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. So a good fit here is really critical. And then lastly, you have the suspension system. You got to have something to attach it to your body or make sure it stays on. And this could be, you know, whether it's just a suction, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, or you might have some sort of harness system or a strap, a belt or sleeve. And uh, they can be pretty inconspicuous.
1: Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the, the, I guess the, the, the strap ones are kind of the old model. Right,
0: yeah. right. And I think this section is, is more current. Um, but let's talk about some of the super cool ones. Enough with the, the definition stuff. Let's okay. get to the. So why do we have such a need for this? I mean, war, definitely. Um, I mean, you have somebody rolling over a roadside bomb, and maybe they actually – survive that incident, but they lose a limb. In fact, a lot of soldiers are coming back from Afghanistan and Iraq and uh theaters around the world and you know they've lost a limb or they've lost multiple limbs. Mm-hmm.
1: And then you have areas of the world where you still have a lot of landmines right. and unexploded uh, unexploded ordnance. So um you know people are losing limbs sadly to that.
0: Right. And then you throw in accidents with machinery or fireworks and you have a pretty major need in both developing and developed countries.
1: Now, this is something that I was really, I found really exciting, and this is, uh, they call this osseointegration. Right. And, uh, and this is, uh, apparently titanium, uh, can be made to, to actually fuse with the bone.
0: Oh, right. I was reading yeah. about that in Popular Mechanics.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, this is like the ultimate, uh, you know, talking about anchoring systems. Like, if you can actually anchor it to the bone, uh, you know, in a very, uh, you know, firm manner, then, uh, then that's, that's better than any of these methods. Um,
0: yeah, and so far they've used it in, a like dental, um, and facial implants. And, and of course now it's being considered for limb prosthetics.
1: Yeah, well they used it on a German Shepherd named Cassidy.
0: Indeed they yeah. did. And it looks like North Carolina State University, uh, is gonna try six more of these operations in 2010, uh, that involve osteointegration on, uh, MPD dogs.
1: And possibly an ocelot. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's amazing, like some of the animal, um, uh, prosthetics they've come up with, which on one level it's like it's like this is the place to test you know technologies you know because animals are really bad about like losing limbs. You know, how many three-legged cats and dogs you see all the time? You
0: know? Right, and it never seems to make a darn bit of difference.
1: Well, they don't really care. generally they don't seem to care. Yeah, they can right. lose a limb and they're like, yeah, yeah I'm good. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, you sent
0: me that picture of the elephant with the prosthetic.
1: Yeah, from the uh, the Thai um, Burmese border. Um, it, uh, yeah, i had lost a leg and they created this uh this prosthetic leg for an elephant. Uh so that was pretty pretty amazing.
0: Uh, we also saw one when we were like when we were researching this uh of the uh bill.
1: Oh yeah, the uh, Romanian stork named Uzonka. <laughs>
0: yes, Uzonka. Uzonka got a prosthesis.
1: Yeah, like somebody had uh, been mean to these bird to this bird and um, damaged its bill, and they created a prosthetic uh, bill so it can function.
0: More recently, I saw Dean Kamen's one. Did you see the video on the Colbert Show or
1: Yeah, yeah, with that awesome hand,
0: right? Very high five Colbert with his uh with his prosthetic arm. Yeah. So this was the founder of first, Dean Kamen, and uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, as far as I know, it's it's not available, but um, the technology is is pretty advanced. Uh, so this arm can pick up a raisin or a grape on the table without destroying it. So it has dexterity. It has mm-hmm. uh, those fine motor skills down. And Kamen actually got the request from DARPA. Um, DARPA said, hey, we want the vets to come back and have better technologies available to them. Um, and amputee the technology really isn't there right now. So Kamen's been working on this for a while, and he wound up taking it down to the Walter Reed Military Hospital and testing it out. Uh, the arm can sense pressure and temperature, and basically the more pneumatic pressure you put on it, the more it's attached
1: Oh cool. Some of that technology um you know was explored in the uh, in, in the space industry.
0: Yeah, uh, for, I saw that uh,
1: for space gloves. Uh it's a big thing because if you know if you have this huge thick layer between yourself and say sensitive um you know equipment on a satellite you're trying to repair, you know, you know it's like trying to play piano in uh, you know kitchen mitts or something, you know. Right. So um, so the idea here is you know you create gloves that can sense those things and uh, and can transfer those back to the wearer.
0: Right. And in case you're despairing, you know, because it sounds like a lot of these technologies aren't available. Well, some of them are, actually. Um, There are a lot of companies operating the space, and some of these cutting-edge prosthetics are already available. So there was one device that I read about called ProDigits, and it's made by a Scottish company um, by the name of Touch Bionics. And this particular device can replace any or all fingers on your hand. And it comes with this, like, tiny little motor and a gearbox that's mounted at the base. And they're commercially available okay, so here's the thing, big cost, mm-hmm. uh, $60,000 to $75,000. And uh, that's going to include fitting and occupational therapy. My question is, I wonder if the Veterans Administration w- would cover this. I mean, how much is that? How much of that cost is going to be covered for an amputee? You know, how much are we? How much is, you know, the government going to contribute toward that? Yeah. So it seems like it's a little pricey still.
1: Well, but I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of like a PR thing, you know, it's like, you're going to convince people to join the Army uh, when, you know, they see people with missing limbs everywhere. But if everybody's got really, you know, awesome prosthetics, it's probably not even going to be visible. And if, you know, and if it is visible, you'll say, hey, they really took care of those guys after they took one for the, the team.
0: Right. And just to emphasize, the, the motions on this particular uh, ProDigit device, I mean, you can write with it. Oh, wow. Well. Uh, I read one thing where the guy said that his handwriting was, in fact, better than it was before. So he was very pleased with this. Yeah, well, some
1: of us have really bad handwriting. So, I mean.
0: Would you include yourself in I that, I would Canterbury? include myself in that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. One thing that I found really interesting about, uh, about amputees is that apparently um, about half of them, according to a 2008 article on the U.S. Navy website, uh, suffer from um, phantom limb pain.
0: Right, so this is pain that feels like it's coming from a body part that's no longer there, according right. to the Mayo Clinic. And according to the clinic, this type of pain was once considered psychological. You know, people are oh, I don't know about that, but now we figured out that these um, these sensations originate in the spinal cord and the brain. And I read a really cool New Yorker article about this a while back, and it was uh, profiling a behavioral neurologist by the name of uh, Villa Yainer mm-hmm. Ramachandran. Apologies to Dr. Ramachandran if I messed up your name. And he was working on this, uh, phantom limb pain problem and he came up with something called mirror therapy.
1: Oh, I, yeah, I've seen a, some stuff about this, yeah.
0: Right. So we know that phantom limb pain can be pretty acute. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so the, the neurologist, uh, had this idea to use mirror therapy. And what this involves is that, um, you hold up a mirror and say you're missing uh, a leg mm-hmm. and you hold up a mirror next to your leg. Um, and so it appears as if you have two legs. Mm-hmm. For some reason, this, um, this helps out with your brain and the pain that you're experiencing, and it seems to work, or at least it reduces the pain uh, to tolerable levels. And in some people, uh, it may reduce uh, the pain entirely. Wow. That's pretty cool. I mean, it's pretty innovative and a, a really simple therapy that could be available to a lot of people who who do need it. So we talked about phantom limb pain. I want to talk about uh, something called apotemnophilia. Had you heard of this before today?
1: Yeah, yeah. This is one I read about a while back. Um, this is where you have this... Um, this compulsion, uh, or even a desire to amputate part of your body.
0: Right, right. So there's a John Hopkins psychologist back in 1977 called John Money. How awesome is that name?
1: It's it's, it's I mean, money.
0: <laughs> it's money, especially if you know he had a doctoral degree and he could call himself Doctor Money.
1: Yeah, I never understand when people have those weird names. Like if like Dennis get names like Doctor Payne, Like you know, I would consider changing it. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least spell it with a Y.
0: Did you ever see that Seinfeld? With the, uh, the proctologist?
1: Yeah, what was his name? <laughs> I forget.
0: That's what I'm thinking of right now. But anyway, um, apotemnophilia was also called a uh, body integrity identity disorder and also uh amputee identity disorder. And it was submitted for inclusion in the DSM-5. Remember the DSM-5? Mm-hmm. It's like the mental health bible where all the mental health illnesses get classified.
1: Yeah, if I remember correctly, this is one that uh, like some interpretations of this, at least with some some uh, people who suffer from it, uh, it, sometimes stems from being like a really high pressure situation where they feel like they need to. It's almost like you're you're expecting a lot of me, but you would expect less of me if I was missing a hand, and huh. therefore I have a compulsion to remove said hand. So
0: I was sort of thinking a uh, similar to. Transgender folks, you know, along the lines of feeling uh, ill at ease in your own body, mm-hmm. and then once you remove a limb, um, you know, it's sort of you become yourself. Hmm. You become at peace with yourself. It's I, I just it kind of blows my mind um, to to voluntarily seek out an operation where you might want to get rid of a limb. But there's a huge black market for it, and of course, the internet has uh, allowed all sorts of people seeking these kinds of
1: operations too. <laughs> so there's like a dude on Craigslist that'll come and chop your hand off if you.
0: You well, touch no, because obviously doctors uh, have some have some legal issues with that. But there was a doctor that I read about. I believe in Scotland. He performed two such operations, and he said that these operations were some of the most satisfying he'd performed in his life because he he really felt like he was helping these people to become more comfortable with themselves. I mean, I I having never experienced this particular disorder, I can't understand the compulsion. But I believe that it must be a very strong compulsion. I mean, how could it not be?
1: I don't know. I, I see. I can't imagine how. It seems like that kind of thing would keep going. It'd be kind of like surgical addiction, you know? It's like it's people are never happy with anything, you know? It's like you know if somebody gets a you know an Xbox 360, they're gonna want a PS3 or something, you know? It's like so it's like you lose one hand. I mean, how, is that gonna make the person happy? Or are they gonna have to lose another hand now?
0: I don't know. We're uh,
1: always wanting more. So it's like if if there's a dude out there that like cutting his hand off makes him happy for the rest of his life, like I I can't think of anything else in life that like does that for anybody, you know? Like, sheer happiness for that one operation. I mean, if it works, then God bless him, but I have my doubts.
0: Yeah. Well, so, um.
1: I'm just saying I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to cut my hand off, just in case you're wondering. I wasn't. Yeah.
0: Well, because you need him for typing all of those. Uh, I do. Yeah. But of course, you could, you could type with, uh, your new prosthetic device. So.
1: Yeah. I'm thinking to be like a, like, I hunt and peck, so it would just be like one finger.
0: You hunt and peck? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, Lord. That's so <laughs> slow. I wonder if producer Jerry Hudson pecks. Who? Mm. Producer Jerry.
1: Who's, oh, producer Jerry. I just said Pretty Sue Jerry. I'm like, who's producer? Pretty <laughs> Sue Jerry?
0: <laughs> no. no, producer Jerry. You've just forgotten about her because we can't see her anymore.
1: It still sounds like you said it's the new headphones. I'm I'm hearing Pretty Sue Jerry. So. Well, I'm it a... sounds kind of like a pimp or something, you know?
0: Yeah. So listen, if you're not going to get a prosthetic limb, you could always get a hand transplant. Would you be interested in one of these?
1: Um. Yeah. If I was missing a hand and someone was like, "We can give you another hand," then I would.
0: Well, which would you choose? Which would you choose? Between
1: (laughs) a prosthetic and a real hand, I my current self would choose a a real hand. My like ten year old self would choose like a robotic hand with lasers.
0: So you might be interested to know a little bit about the uh, the current state of hand transplants, and uh, I learned about them courtesy of Emory Healthcare, which is uh, here in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. So the technical name is composite tissue allo transplantation. And that just means the transplantation of limbs and other intact body parts.
1: And this is a really complicated process, right? Because there's a lot of stuff to reattach.
0: Right, right. I mean, you're talking about bits of bone that may have been shattered. You're talking about connective tissue that's not in good shape. Maybe it's kind of mangled. Um so it's uh, yeah it is extremely complicated and it can be a really long surgery and then perhaps you may have to deal with uh immunosuppressive issues and so you're going to be on immunosuppressive medication I sh- I shouldn't say perhaps you will be on yeah. immunosuppressive medication
1: for the rest of your life
0: Yeah uh, the first hand transplant was performed back in 1964 in Ecuador again to a sailor the sailor got the uh transplant and he had to have it amputated 2 weeks after surgery because uh you know his his body rejected it and then the next hand transplant was performed in France in 1998. And I'm wondering a little bit uh, from this research if France isn't kind of interested in this whole transplant sphere because they they were also the folks who did the face transplant. Remember?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're making uh, they're making leaps and bounds over there. I mean, it's it's all I think just awesome. Uh, I mean, it, I, I just love the idea that you know someone if they lose something like that, they would be able to to get it back or at least get you know something back that's made of flesh and not plastic.
0: Right. Right. Although there are some good plastic options out there. As oh, totally. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, um, a couple of other interesting transplants that have occurred. There was a uterus transplant. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A couple of transplants involving knees. And there was one that even involved a trachea.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have an interesting, uh, prosthetic. Uh, you may remember this, but, uh, an Ig Nobel Prize was awarded. Uh, to an effort to create prosthetic testicles for dogs that been neutered. <laughs>
0: oh, I forgot about yeah. that, right? So they could be imbued with their... Uh...
1: Yeah, which again, this is like back to the whole thing that dogs are fine if they lose a leg. And if you, you get a dog neutered like you should, um, then dog's going to be all right. You know, dog's not, you know, this is all the owner like thinking, oh, my dog doesn't have testicles. How can I live with this, you know? And...
0: So I know
1: it's just <laughs> silly, and that's why I won an Ig Nobel Prize because it's just like why why are you even wondering why are you even coming up with this? you know,
0: well, surely, if they can have kitty wigs, they can have a set of fake
1: yeah, a fake yeah. unit for a dog you and know? If, a, if a Ford truck can have them, then certainly the genuine article should be able to get them back as well,
0: right, right. So I think that about wraps it up for our deep dive into prosthetic devices today. We hope you well, found it interesting.
1: Not as deep a dive as you can get on the website. Be sure to check out our article uh, about prosthetic limbs, and yeah. uh, and actually we, we have a we have a few other articles too. Just just put in like prosthetic limbs and you'll get a, a couple of different things uh, on the HowStuffWorks Stuff Works website about this kind of technology.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I got a little listener mail I want to share today. Yeah, you, you got down a few for that? In-house?
1: Yeah. All right.
0: So I got a, I got an email from, uh, Eric, and, uh, Eric was writing about the business of compost, and...
1: Yeah, we, uh, that compost, uh, podcast got a lot of comments.
0: Yeah, yeah, it seems like a lot of, a lot of composting folks out there, so that's Mm -hmm. cool. Uh, Eric writes, you mentioned in your compost episode that you shouldn't compost your own business and businesses, in
1: quotes. And by business, we mean... Business. Yeah, business.
0: Yeah. So while this is true for poo, it's worth noting that urine is actually a great additive for compost. So he goes on to extol the benefits of uh, all that nitrogen. And uh, he writes, it's probably easier for the gentleman composters out there to... Uh, pee into the compost than it is for the ladies. And, of course, you need a certain amount of privacy in your yard to make it happen. Good point, Eric. And your neighbors will also probably be happier if you don't reveal your secret compost ingredient when you start sharing the produce from your veggie garden. Indeed. And lastly, Eric says, however, you may want to avoid this technique if you're composting in the kitchen. Again, yeah, good yeah, point, Eric. Point. We thank you for that and your insight into the uh, the composting matter. And we also had a good one from um Arizona Andrew. In Arizona, Andrew writes that he works for a catering company and he has a ton of food that would otherwise be thrown in the trash. Now I take it home and make lovely, lovely soil from it. And he also attached a picture of his seven-year-old son, Brady, which I thought was so adorable. Oh, yeah.
1: I love when people send us photos.
0: Yeah. Uh, and he writes, thanks for the podcast. The kids and I love listening. Well, we love you writing. So Thanks, Andrew. And one last correction from Gary. We can just call him Galaxy Gary because Gary writes that, I wanted to remind you that a galaxy is the large is not the largest structure in the universe. Uh, in fact, galaxies are part of galaxy clusters, which are made up of many galaxies that are gravitationally related to one another. Thank you, Gary. Yeah,
1: and we, uh, we discuss galaxies and galaxy clusters in uh, our uh, podcast about uh, how galaxies are formed.
0: And, of course, we're all over them on Facebook and Twitter, too. You can find us on Facebook, on uh, Stuff in the Science Lab, or our handle on Twitter is Lab labstuff.
1: Yeah, so come check us out.
0: And if you have any stories you want to share about prosthetics or anything else, send us an email at sciencestuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Want more how stuff works? Check out our blogs on the howstuffworks.com homepage.